Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another live program here on Voice of Islam radio station. It's the drive time show between 4 and 6 p.m. Monday to Friday. So we are here live uh, throughout the week uh, with you where we uh, uh, go through two different topics uh, in every hour that we are here uh, broadcasting live. So. Um, as per the usual, uh, you know, norm, we'll today we will also have two topics for you to discuss. Uh, with me here in the studio is uh, Fahim. Uh, Assalamualaikum. Fahim. How are you doing? You right? Yeah, good. Thank you. I'm yeah, good to be here. Glad to be here as well. Uh, I think the first topic that we're going to talk about today is air pollution. Yeah. And we're sitting here in London, mm-hmm. which uh, is... With ULA spreading everywhere. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I had to drive in, like, you know, I'm driving in from Kent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I see that now. Um, suddenly, you know, the, the, the signs are up now that, yep. you know, you're entering a ULA uh, area. Um, and it has now expanded. Uh, so it was bound to expand, I think, yesterday or two days ago. Mm. That was the date, like, uh, which was told. People were given warning long time that yeah. this was going to happen, but still there has been a lot of protests. Uh, a lot of people have said that you know it's it's difficult for businesses. Yeah, uh, a lot of people who had diesel cars, uh, older diesel cars, and um, some very old cars as well. They had issues, and they said mm. you know okay, you know it's going to cost us to change. And uh, <clears throat> you there understand there are schemes in place. Though, there right? are yeah. there are schemes mm. in place. Yes, that. That's true as well. Uh, however, everything is expensive these days as well. So we yeah. understand, obviously, the situation and the frustration that people are going through. But I think underlying all that is the unavoidable fact, isn't it, that air pollution is a big issue here in London, yeah. uh, like in other big cities across the world as well. Um, and the authorities seem to be wanting to do something about it. Yeah. And um, I remember we have done this when 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 we, when we talked about this previously it was it came to our knowledge that many people who unfortunately die uh today in london yeah. uh some people they are directly influenced or their death is directly or indirectly influenced by air pollution mm. and it could be said that their you know time of death 
could have been impacted by the time of exposure towards pollution uh, that they had. Right, and yeah, because new research, as we'll, as we'll discuss, uh, suggests that air pollution is related to antibiotic resistance. Mm. Um, and annually, almost seven people die from air pollution globally. So it's not a small amount no. by any means. No. But yeah, we're going to discuss that and more uh, look at the effect of air pollution on health as of well course. as of course. on the climate. So, as you said, air pollution is the topic. Uh, mm. obviously is is not the topic today. We have talked about it, but obviously it's connected yeah. to that. Uh, but we are going to talk about air pollution, how serious that is, and how it, you know, affects the health and well-being of people. So, if you wish to uh, talk to us on that, um, if you live in London, for example, or any area, it doesn't have to be London that you have air pollution in London. Yeah. In other cities as well, their air pollution is yeah, wherever you live. Yeah. From. So if you live in an area perhaps uh, where you can feel the pollution uh, in the air, uh, you know, give us a call. Uh, tell us, uh, you know, how you feel. Uh, I'm sure you have some things to say. <laughs> and also, mm. um, if, if, if you have any uh, suggestions on how we can, uh, as a country, uh, what ath- authorities can do and what we can do to better our environment then do also give us a call well i wanted to ask you do you do you see a difference in out of london in london do you feel any different is there yeah 100 percent. yeah 100%. like what, what what do you feel the the air is just uh you, you can breathe when you breathe the air you, mm. you feel the difference yeah you feel it's less you know um it's it's less polluted yeah. it's, it's more pure um it's cleaner. It's, it's just it's fresher. You, right? It's fresher. Yeah, yeah. you see the it's difference the moment you get out of the busy towns, and mm. you know, uh, because here in London, uh, even if you're walking out on the street, uh, there are obviously mm. towns that are greener, and you might feel it less over there. Yeah. But there are, if you go to London, and if you are in London, and it's busy roads everywhere. You will smell. You'll smell petrol. You'll smell. You know, uh, other gases from restaurants or from other cars, uh, yeah. vehicles, buses. So you do smell it, and you see the difference. Definitely, and for me, uh, I don't notice it until I'm outside of London, mm. right? So until I've gone on like a walk or to a place where there's open air, that's when I actually am conscious of it. When I'm going through my day to day, like I don't realize it, but it's until you feel that breath, breath yeah. of fresh air and that, oh, this is nice. This, this is, is open. what the air this is, is actually yeah, supposed yeah. to feel it's, like. <laughs> exactly, and only till then that's when I realize it. So it's it's interesting, like how much it's just become the norm, and ultimately whether you agree with it or not, I think anything that is working towards bettering our health. You know, is is always a good thing, right? Because you know, health yeah. before everything else. Absolutely, I think, uh, and I think with the, with big cities and uh, even smaller cities as well, there's bound to be air pollution there because of the increased traffic. Um, so recently, I went to uh, f- uh, to to Norway for yeah. for a week and a half, and there, um, you know. It, it was just completely different. There, yeah. I felt like I was I was in another planet. Yeah. You know, the the air and the water, it was all so pure. Yeah. And you do feel that you know, we are, as, as a society, as a community, you know, we we are some somehow responsible for mm. what's around us and how we have made 
things for ourselves. Some things are not in our control. Some things are in our control. So I mean, I mean, looking after health is is such an important thing. I mean, sitting in a car all day, sitting at work, mm-hmm. and not going out in the open, you know, to to get some fresh air, even if yeah. it's walks. Um, you know, you could uh, you could go to the park. You could go where there is trees. You know, yeah. small forest, whatever. You get better air. It's a fact. So. Um, so there are things that we can do and then there are things that we can't do we can't control where we live sometimes we can't control the environment yeah it's just See, yeah I, I totally agree because I've more recently I've come become aware especially because we didn't have much of a summer going out and actually feeling sunlight I think has been made a big impact to me like I've actually made a conscious effort more recently to be like okay cool the sun's out let me just go get some exposure yeah. because I'm pretty, I think everybody in the UK is vitamin D deficient because yeah. <laughs> of the weather so I think that once you start consciously making that effort or just you know like saying hey you know let me not just stay cooped up in this room all the time. Let me get out there. Let me experience new things. Let me, you know, hmm. get some fresh air. I think it will make a big impact on your health and also your mental health. I think that it's good to just get out of the bustle and the, the you know, the traffic that you always seems to be stuck in in London, no matter where, where you are. And I think that, yeah, just making that conscious effort. And this is why we do shows like this, right? Mm. This is, you know, we're hoping that someone's listening in their car and they're thinking, you know what, maybe I'll walk to work tomorrow or maybe I will, you know, go for that walk or get out of London for a bit and, you know, see a bit more of an open area, go to that park and breathe in that fresh air and just give my body like that little refresh. Mm. No, absolutely. Um, and, and the reason why we are discussing air pollution today is because... It affects not only London and where we are sitting at the moment or in England or UK. It's actually a worldwide uh, issue. According to the World Health Organization, 99% people globally breathe air that exceeds uh, the WHO's guidelines, uh, their limits, that uh, contains high levels of pollution. Most affected are low- and middle-income countries. So in those countries, they're even worse air pollution in some cities like obviously if you look at Pakistan India for example yeah. is is terrible it's it's, it's uh, you know in the big cities the pollution for example Lahore is is famous for yeah. you know really really bad smog yeah. really bad air pollution I think Same Delhi is Delhi the most Mumbai, yeah, yeah most polluted city in the world if i'm correct um yeah. yeah but i think that has a lot to do with some fireworks as well but um yeah look we got to make sure factors, yeah, yeah. multiple factors but we want to make sure that you know anybody listening maybe someone sitting there thinking what actually is air pollution because you know we 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 throw these words around quite a lot yeah. and we just expect everybody to know exactly what they are so yeah. you know what is air pollution like it it's it is the actual contamination of indoor and outdoor harmful substances in mm. the air Right, the burning of fossil fuels releases gases and chemicals into the air, which means pollution is caused by a household combustion devices, industries, motor vehicles, but there are also other sources of pollution like forest fires. So just in case someone didn't know, and you know, we, we, we wanted you to get in touch on social media as well. So don't forget to get at us on um, Twitter or X, or whatever you're calling it these days, on Instagram. Um, we have a poll for you as well. Um, 
the poll today, we want to know what is the air quality like in your area. Mm. Give us a uh, tell us and vote whether it's good or poor. You can do that on Instagram, which is at Voice of Islam UK. Yeah, and I think many people might not know that you can actually check the air pollution in your area as well. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. I, I found up huh. through my phone actually when you go really? to the weather app mm. and this was on iPhone I'm sure yeah. other Let phones yeah, yeah Android has a different but when you go on weather yeah. and you scroll down and I think it's uh, it, it tells you about the air pollution as well oh, air quality yeah air quality yeah. yeah so air pollution air quality index is 2 which is similar to yesterday about this time mm. interesting I did not know yeah. that you learn something new every day <laughs> <laughs> there you go um, so we talked about the terrible number of people who die as a result of air pollution. Um, I think the number was around 7 million. Um, of those, about 4.5 million deaths were linked to outdoor air pollution, and then 2.2 million deaths were linked to indoor air pollution. And uh, most affected uh, countries were India and China. All right, uh, so... We're going to continue with this, uh, but uh, we're also going to speak to some of the guests that we have invited to join our program today. And we have our first uh, guest, Professor Roy Harrison, uh, who is professor at the University of Birmingham. Uh, and he specializes in air pollution and the effects environment has on our human health. So let's speak to uh, Professor Harrison, who's joining us. Good afternoon. Peace be upon you and welcome to The Drive Time Show. Oh, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Uh, very well, thank you very much. And you? Yes, good, uh, good, brilliant, thank you. Um, when we think of air pollution, uh, Professor, we, we tend to think of the air pollution outside. Um, but could you tell us what's the difference or if there's any difference between outdoor uh, air pollution or indoor air pollution? If so, which is worse? Uh, there's probably very little difference in terms of the uh, toxicity. Uh, it all depends on the amount present, so the level of exposure. So uh, if there's a higher concentration indoors, which there might be, uh, for example, if there's smoking going on, that would be much more hazardous than out of doors. But if there aren't any sources indoors, then often the indoor environment's a little bit cleaner than outdoors, so it's it's safer from that point of view. Okay, and um, diseases that are related to air pollution are often linked to particular matter, uh, particulate matter. What exactly is particulate matter, and why are its effects so you know detrimental to uh, people? Well, particulate matter is made up of tiny little specks of dust or droplets of, of chemicals uh, in the atmosphere, uh, and um, they, they float around. They can be there for, for, for days, days on end. They come from things like uh, vehicle exhaust, uh, but there are many sources of, of particles. They're very small. Uh, they can be breathed and they deposit in the deep lung and they cause health effects generally by uh, causing inflammation in the lung 
and that can feed through into the cardiovascular system so it can affect the bloodstream and the heart as well as the lung uh, and that inflammation causes stress on the body uh, and that predisposes people to disease so there's, a lot, there's lots of different effects um, but they're mostly to do with uh, the inflammation in the lung and how that feeds through into the vascular system Right, and you know, Professor, not everybody can control where they live, right? So, what can, what's some advice that you have for people living in areas with high levels of air pollution? Like, what can they do to protect themselves from harm? That is quite difficult. Um, one, one of the big sources of air pollution is obviously road traffic, hmm. and so if they are able to for example, take walking routes that are on back streets rather than main streets, that, that will be helpful. Uh, if they've got a car with a particle filter on the ventilation, that can be quite effective in cutting down the pollution in the car. Um, or alternatively, they can very much reduce their exposure to particles by wearing one of the more effective face masks, um, as, as became uh, popular during the COVID outbreak. And I'm not thinking of the surgical masks, which do have some benefits, but they're not terribly effective. But the ones that fit smugly o over the face uh, with probably uh, elastic straps at the back. Um, those are actually very good at reducing exposure to airborne particles, but they won't reduce exposure to gases, and uh, so they don't totally eliminate uh, exposure to air pollution, but they certainly could be quite beneficial. Right, and um, so what appropriate and effective policies should be put in place to in the UK to reduce air pollution? you know especially pollution from road traffic what what, what are your what's your opinion on the ULEZ uh, approach and do you think it's effective well the ULEZ enforces or attempts to enforce the updating of vehicles to more modern technologies um, by either requiring their use or charging people a larger sum of money who don't use the the more recent vehicles and that, that has some some benefits it doesn't have much impact on airborne particles um, largely because they're coming from other sources but it does benefit nitrogen dioxide which is another toxic pollutant and certainly we've seen that in Birmingham that the low emission zone that was introduced in the center of Birmingham about two years ago has had marked benefits for nitrogen dioxide and certainly the data for London suggests there are significant reductions in nitrogen dioxide and that will feed through into benefits for public health so that that is one of the uh, approaches that is quite effective but we have to look at other sources of particles and one of the growing sources is actually wood burning wood burning stoves very popular with people and they emit particles into the air and we currently have very little legislation that affects their use but this would uh, if it were strengthened and enforced 
would actually have significant benefits for cleaning up the air. Mm. Uh, I'm just thinking, is is there any industrial uh, pollution that uh, that is also something that needs to be looked at? Um, because obviously, often in, in, in the limelight is, you know, people driving cars, you know, people doing this, they should be doing less. But industries, they are sometimes responsible for huge, uh, you know, output of uh, gases and harmful particles, right? Well, in the UK, we have a very, very long history of air pollution control from industry going back to the Alkali Works Act of 1863. So we've got 150 years of history of uh, controlling emissions from industry. And the controls really are very strict nowadays. So the industrial contribution to air pollution uh, as we breathe it at ground level is, is quite low. And those industries that do emit tend to emit from high chimneys. And by the time that reaches ground level, the concentrations are, are really ver- very low. So the contribution of industry is much smaller than these sources, these more local sources like traffic and wood burning. Okay. Uh, Professor Roy Harrison, thank you so much for joining us. It was great talking to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 0208687878 is the number to call. Uh, you can also tweet at uh, Voice of Islam UK. So here we we understand from what the professor is saying is that main pollutants is the the cars and yeah. the vehicles and um, you know um, we we know in big cities such as London, Birmingham, Manchester, you yeah. know major big cities here in the UK there's always going to be traffic and there's always going to be a lot of fumes, a lot of pollution. Yeah, so uh, with this, I uh, one thing that I've really struggled with this um, is the fact that we keep seeming to build more and more apartments everywhere mm. and like in every area we're just increasing the amount of housing and I know there's a housing issue but the thing is, is that with that comes more cars, right? If you think about it, if you're adding into an already overpopulated area you're adding another 200 flats you know that means another at least let's say 300 people or whatever driving each of them having a car or at least one car where's everybody going to park <laughs> and where's like why is they we're just increasing the, popu- well, the pollution well the right? counter argument could be that people would uh, the the transport system the public transport system yeah. should be so good that people won't need cars yeah, so, uh, if they're in, living in London and yeah. working in London if if you were working in London yeah. and living in London pretty central yeah. um, you know modern is still a bit out but yeah. if you were more into London then you would be better off not having a car right definitely but I think that pretty much most people so like you know you can drive through Europe, you can drive through the country. Mm. I've, I actually saw a post on social media more recently that said that they can, uh, it was cheaper to fly to like up north um, mm. somewhere uh, than take the train on the train line. So it's just, that's where 
like you said, the transport has to be at a high level mm. and also be affordable. And it's not always like that. And it's that not here. always the case. And I think that that's where the problem is. But yeah, for me, I just think that you're just jamming more and more people into an already congested area. So it's just going to pollute it even more. Mm. It'll just naturally happen, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, certainly, the transport system could be better. Um, obviously, with the tube and buses, that's great. Yeah. But obviously, if you look at other cities, if you look at outer London, if you look at, you know, the rest of the country, you you do need better infrastructure uh, to try to reduce that. And um, and yes, when it comes to electric cars as well, yeah, uh, it, it should be made, you know, a bit more affordable for people. I mean, currently electric cars are quite expensive, even though with the schemes as well. Yeah, but it's still the, the 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 middle class or the poorer people in 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 the in the society will, will struggle mm. to afford. No, hundred percent. Because also, like electric cars aren't um, exempt from congestion charge mm. either, so they still get put into the congestion charge. So this is where it's like you're not incentivizing people to buy no, electric cars. Are, are they not? They're not. It's not not all of them, for sure. Okay, which is which is quite interesting. But the like fully the fully electric ones, yeah, they can they can go anywhere, can't they? No, without no. any charge. It's not true. Yeah. Even congestion charge. Yeah, have to pay congestion charge on something. Really? Yeah. I'm talking from experience. Okay, <laughs> I do have to. Pay you got it. tickets. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's it's this is the thing, and so it's not being incentivized enough. So, like you mm. said, you know, even with the savings, etc., yeah, it's still not cheap enough. And then, you know. Uh, I find that electric cars can be quite dangerous. How many times have you been walking and electric cars just kind of snuck up on you mm. <laughs> and you've not heard it coming either? You don't hear either. them. You don't hear them <laughs> you need to add some sound into them. All right. Uh, 0208687778 is the number to call. Let us know. Do you think electric cars is the solution? Is that something that everybody should get that will solve our... That'll make our air much more cleaner. Do you think that's the solution? Let us know. We're going to go to our next uh, guest. We have uh, with us uh, Sahar Nasir, who is a medical student, uh, joining us. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum as Wa alaikum as for joining. Thank you for joining uh, the Drive Time Show today. So, <clears throat> you've been listening to the topic, I guess, and... Uh, uh, where we are discussing air pollution, the you know suggested uh, solutions to that. Um, how how harmful would you say um, the effects of air pollution is for for our health? Yeah, so I would say that the air pollution is something that we're exposed <coughs> to on a daily basis. So accumulatively, it's a very harmful thing for our health. Uh, and I think that the same way that we wouldn't drink contaminated water, just because we can't see the contamination in the air doesn't make it any less harmful to us. Hmm. That's that's a that's, that's an interesting point. point. Yeah. And and people don't see it, but now you know, uh, we know for a fact that when people are dying, sometimes you know people here in London, you you know when uh, <clears throat> when when they are examined, you could say with quite surety that they have been affected by air pollution or in, indirectly that could have been the cause yeah, of their death absolutely. as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's many diseases linked to air pollution that we don't think about, such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and, you know, lung cancers, asthma, and even people who have current diseases. This is something that can aggravate their symptoms. So it's something that we should really be aware about. Hmm. Um, the harm that air pollution is doing to the health uh, is a growing issue that we, we, we understand that. Um, but what can be done to reduce that air pollution? Uh, do you think that this idea of EULAs and, and limiting, uh, you know, uh, putting restrictions on cars, because it seems like the m- most emissions are coming from the increased traffic? Yeah, I mean, air pollution is a collective <coughs> of things. Uh, mainly, as you said, transport and cars, but also smoking and also the waste disposal that we do as a as a country. So there's many different factors that can contribute to it. But I think, as you said, ULES is something that's new and it's been put into place. And I think because it's fairly new, we don't have enough evidence to say whether it's an effective measure. And uh, I think, as you were saying before, with electric cars and with the poorer community, it's not an inclusive measure. Not mm. everybody can afford these type of vehicles. Yeah. So I think, generally speaking, the government should really take into account the whole community as a whole and find solutions that are inclusive. I think one of the major things that we have kind of come into play recently is the reduce, reuse, recycle Mm. which is great because it's tackling the side of things, you know, with landfill and with burning waste and how much emission that actually puts into the air. I think recycling is a great is a great way to reduce pollution. Mm. And it's also something very feasible for everybody. Yeah. And also public transport, uh, you know, it would be sensible, I think. Wouldn't you think it would be sensible to make it more affordable, maybe cheaper tickets, yeah, train definitely. tickets? you know, uh, general tickets uh, on buses and tubes to make it more cheaper for people to then travel because that would be an incentive, yeah. right? That 100%. it's cheaper to take the bus, it's cheaper to take yeah. the train rather than owning a vehicle, right? Yeah, definitely. I think even with the bike lanes that they have started to incorporate more of, it's a great incentive to make people cycle to work and it's great for their overall health as well. Right, and so... We like to give practical advice. So, what are some of the simple ways, you know, protecting oneself from the effects of air pollution? And, you know, is it useful for people who live in areas with high levels of air pollution to wear masks, as as the previous guest also mentioned? Mm, I think, as far as masks are concerned, it is an effective measure to an extent. But I think that, generally speaking, with air pollution, because it's such a systemic issue. Masks are not a feasible solution for the long term. And I think that as doctors and as, you know, healthcare professionals, we see the other end of the effects of air pollution, so these diseases that arise. And I think when our taxpayers' money is spent helping, rightfully so, helping these people and, you know, with curative treatments, I think more of that money from the government could be spent in prophylaxis, which is preventative measures, so that people don't actually develop these diseases in the first place. So I think masks are an individual individual measure that people can use. However, I think systemically speaking, it's something that needs to be tackled on a greater scale. Yeah, and 
I think no one wants to go back to wearing masks, do they? Yeah, <laughs> we had enough exactly. of it during COVID. But um, no, okay. The, and so, what would you say is something that like I could do today, living in London, that could just help me protect myself from this? The effects of I it. think small changes in the day-to-day lifestyle. I think, especially if we make individual changes, like if you make a change in your household and the next person makes a change in theirs, collectively we would be helping the community. And also just simple changes such as if you're going to go for a run, go maybe early in the morning when the air is a little bit cleaner because there's not been so much pollution rather than in the middle of the day when there's loads of traffic. Right. And stay off busier roads, etc. Yeah. Awesome. All right, thank you so much, uh, Sahar, for joining us. Uh, medical thank student, Jazakla, um, for your time. Jazakla. 0208687 is the number to call. You can also tweet at uh, Voice of Islam UK if you wish to um, uh, you know, speak to us on this topic. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, now, when we look at some of the more facts, uh, we talked about, um, you know, the... Um, the uh, World Health Organization saying that 99% people globally breathe air that exceeds the guidelines or exceed the limits of, uh, you know, pollution uh, levels. Um, Nine out of ten people globally live in urban areas which are affected by air pollution and due to the outdoor air pollution, children in low-income urban areas are more likely to have asthma. Uh, the cause for higher rates in asthma are the pollutants uh, ozone and particulate matter PM 2.5. Research from the city halls suggests that communities with people from ethnic backgrounds and higher levels of deprivation are more likely to be exposed to higher level of air pollution. Similarly, according to the American Lung Association in the U.S., people of color are almost one and a half times more likely than white uh, people to live in areas with poor air quality. I mean, that's that that is a very mm-hmm. disturbing part, isn't it? Because you see that people from certain communities or poorer people who cannot afford to live in you know uh, places that are more open, which have gardens or maybe have parks around them, maybe have uh, forests around mm-hmm. them, lots of trees that obviously will give you a better air quality. Yeah. They live in these dense areas, urban areas, and with very little open spaces so that's going to be they're going to be born uh you know being yeah. being uh, disadvantaged 100% because you know this i think it comes down to space right so often there's the disparity between different peoples of color um on where they live where they live depends on the area the open spaces and so i can see this statistic just being you know very apparent and and true because ultimately there have been advantages in the past for people uh, of different colors so i think that ultimately we can only do as our last guest said we can only control what we we do and i think that if we all start to make those small changes then we can actually start to impact but it has to be collective right it has to be that everybody puts that effort in and that's why we have shows like this where we raise the awareness so that you know even if five of our listeners just decided to make that change and 
you know go for that earlier run stay out of traffic you know i'm i'm thinking more of it like there's sometimes i take a route where there's a main road and i do it for a change of scenery mm. but maybe that's not a good idea yeah thinking about it now with all the pollution and I'll, I'll i'll make sure that i stick to those smaller roads and to those smaller um just changing the way to work yeah. and you know walking through past the park rather yeah. than going on the main yeah. road so that, that's that's what i do sometimes because obviously right next to my house is a main main road yeah. uh, in and out of the town and uh, you know if i have to go for a walk i go the other way so yeah. I try to avoid that and go into you know the smaller roads through you know houses and yeah towards the park yeah. and definitely if we can all start doing that we can definitely make an impact on our health and the thing is is that there's also new research we started at the at the top of the show right where we said um about antibiotic resistance yeah. and you know it, antibiotic resistance poses a rapidly growing threat to our health and it's killing uh, around 1.3 million annu- people annually yeah. which is mainly caused by the overuse of antibiotics but a new worldwide study suggest that air pollution is another cause for resistance to antibiotics. Mm. And that of course, you know, if you have uh, any health issues then that's going to make it worse for you. Yeah, definitely. Um let's go to Fawad who's joining us uh, on the line. Uh, we're going to speak to Fawad who's a member of the People's Assembly for Nature. Um and um he's also a student uh, and a young Muslim. Good afternoon. Peace be upon you Fawad. Welcome to the Drive Time show. Hello, uh welcome Sam. Walaikum salam. Uh, what is People's Assembly for Nature? Could you tell us uh, what uh, what they do? Yeah, sure. So the People's Assembly is um, a citizens' assembly funded by like various prominent UK nature charities like the National Trust, WWF, and um, another one. And it brought together like a representational group from across the UK to present what the UK public thinks about nature they educated us on um like the state of nature currently in the UK and then uh we kind of came up with i mean we did come up with like calls to actions and pledges that in, can now be presented to government to inform policy right and do you, do you feel a religious responsibility as a muslim to preserve nature and protect the planet yeah definitely i think it links i think it links very much like toe and toe together with islam and our religious duties um in terms of i mean specifically we're told to like look upon the creation to as evidence of signs of Allah and also as our spiritual practices promote like reflection and remembrance gratitude and these can these are best done in nature actually and even throughout Islamic history um our architecture promotes gardens and reflection in nature okay Brilliant. Fawad, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was great talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Waalaikum salam. 0208-687-7878 is the number to call. You can also tweet at uh, Voice of Islam UK. Now, we also spoke to uh, um, Jenny uh, Bates, who is a campaigner at the Friends of Earth uh, organization, and this is what uh, Jenny had to say. 
We are now going to be speaking with our guest uh, caller, which is Jenny Bates, an expert on air pollution at Friends of the Earth. She has led campaigns on climate emissions from transport, including um, aviation. Jenny, thank you very much for joining us. Peace be upon you. How are you today? Yeah, good, good to be here. Thank you. Um, can you tell us about the work uh, Friends of the Earth and you as a campaigner against air pollution are doing and why is it important to ah. you? Um, yes, well, it is important, I would say that. Um, so, yes, Friends of the Earth and me personally um, have been campaigning on air pollution for years, in fact, mm-hmm. um, really just due to the terrible health impacts that it can have, you know, particularly because it, it hits some of the most vulnerable, the hardest, you know, like children whose lungs can end up not developing properly and elderly people who may have an existing uh, condition which can be worsened or they could even have a heart attack or a stroke. Um, and also because the sources and solutions are actually quite similar to, to those for climate change. So action on one will also help the other, and both are really important. So yes, I, I started um, campaigning on air pollution when I was uh, fighting a huge six-lane road bridge in East London in the 2000s, and that would have created a new breach of legal limits. And, mm. and, and yet people didn't even realise it was going to be coming close to them uh, some of the time. Um, and really it was from that that I realised how bad um, air pollution was in London and then actually around the country. Um, and so I, I helped get Friends of the Earth to, to, to be a founding partner of something called the Healthy Air Coalition, which is a great sort of mix of transport and environment and health um, uh, organisations. And, and then we ran a, a major campaign on it afterwards. So that's, that's been really good. And I would say that some of our recent work has um, been some data crunching and looking at um, areas above the World Health Organization recommended levels for for pollutants. And there are some what we call very high air pollution areas, which is where um, either or both of two key pollutants, which are fine particles and also a toxic gas called nitrogen dioxide, where either or both of those are twice the, the, the level that the World Health Organization say we should be having. And, and in these areas, um, there are about one million kids living, um, those under 18, and, and sort of 1,700, 1,700 schools in these areas. Hmm. And this is really sort of worrying stuff. And um, London is particularly bad with actually 90% of the neighborhoods in these very high air pollution um, neighborhoods being in London. Um, and, and also, it, it showed up some really worrying things about in, the inequality of air pollution, with people of colour three times more likely to live in these very high air pollution areas. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, actually, people living there were also three times less likely to own a car. So, in, and wow. they're obviously then contributing less. So, that's some of our recent work. And, and other bits we're working on at the moment include um, I'm helping our Welsh colleagues as a Cymru clean air bill that's going through at the moment. We're also trying to enshrine the right to clean air and a healthy environment and also doing some work ahead of the general election, trying to get all parties, all political parties to commit to clean um, air off. So, yeah, there's a lot going on and, and we do think it's very important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, most certainly it is. Um, now, Air pollution, beyond its immediate health impacts, has far-reaching consequences for climate change. Could you maybe help us grasp how exactly air pollution affects our climate? 
Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, first of all, the health impacts are terrible. Um, you know, it, it contributes to um, early deaths in the in the UK, tens of thousands a year, and there are short-term impacts. And so, I mentioned just now, bad air on a particular day can trigger a heart attack or a stroke if somebody's got a bad heart or or a cardiovascular disease. And then there are also the longer-term impacts and terrible sort of uh, respiratory and cardiovascular diseases can be made worse. And, and it's actually been shown to cause lung cancer, to be a cause of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, it's one of the biggest killers in, in, in the UK with, as I say, tens of thousands of early deaths a year. And, and um, you know, there are close links with air pollution and climate change. I, I sort of mentioned that they have similar sources, and that's from burning, uh, well, certainly in some, some sectors, it's uh, like burning fossil fuels, diesel, petrol, oil and gas, um, that sort of thing. But um, there are two sort of interesting ways that they, they, they can affect each other. So air pollutants, um, particular ones, there's something called black carbon, which is a sort of particulate air pollution, these very fine particles that can get um, you know, into your lungs, deep into your lungs. And perhaps an, an, another one like ground level ozone, they can directly affect the climate. Um, and things, if, if we actually tackle these, these sort of um, what they call short lived climate pollutants, uh, because they don't stay in the atmosphere very long, if we tackle these, we could cut half a degree off global temperature rise. And that is absolutely key because the, the, the goal of climate action is to keep global warming. Um, to to no more than 1.5 degrees um, above where it was before the Industrial Revolution, which is what we need to avert climate breakdown. So, you know, if, if, if action on these air pollutants could could cut um, could help um, save half a degree, 0.5 of a degree, that would really help to trying to limit it to 1.5. Um, and then the other way round, actually, also a warming climate. Um, can affect air pollution. So we get more heat, more sunlight, more heat waves, that sort of thing. We get more ground level ozone, and that is a health uh, mm-hmm. irritant in itself. It's an irritant gas. So those are some of the ways that um, yeah, that climate and air pollution inter- interact. Right. Um, now that's obviously interesting and worrisome at the same time. Um, what what can we individuals or but also communities do to reduce air pollution and fight climate change? Well, various things. We all need to do what we can to make choices that would help cut um, air pollution and and help with climate. Um, and and certainly on the air pollution side, that that would help protect our health and that of others. Um, but it must be made easy for people to do that and to make these good choices. So, you know, things like travel and transport, you know, there need to be options for, for alternative clean, green ways to get around that are affordable, um, including safe walking and cycling and, and good and affordable public transport. So, you know, people people want to make the right choices, the green, the clean choices often, but it has to be made easy for everyone. And then in terms of communities, communities can come together um, to call for measures that are uh, something like School Streets, which is an initiative that restricts traffic around the school, uh, particularly at drop-off and pick-up times, and then schools can also get involved doing more uh, to help people walk and cycle to school. Mm. Um, and also what they call low-traffic neighbourhoods, which are a contentious, but if they're well-designed, they actually can really work. 
and encourage more walking and cycling. Um, and then, of course, people can all help call on politicians to take the action needed because ultimately that's where we need to, to, to have the action from. And that's everything from local councils, regional authorities like the, the London Assembly and, and the mayor and MPs um, and the government itself, really. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, one last thing I, I want to ask you is about Euler's. We, yeah. I mean, we, going around London, we, we see a lot of, of um, smaller sort of protests happening as well and, and many signs out there as well. What are your thoughts on the Euler's expansion? Will it be effective? And what measures and policies would you like to see the government put in place? Well, we think it's it's right that the Euler's is expanded uh, to cover the whole of London. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really just to better protect the health of all Londoners. Um, and, and the ULEZ has been effective, as have actually clean air zones, which is the same sort of thing elsewhere around the UK and, and in fact, uh, elsewhere around Europe. So for the ULEZ, the original bit of it was in central London, and that brought down this dangerous uh, toxic gas, nitrogen dioxide, by 46%. That's nearly um, half. Um, and, and then when the, the ULEZ was expanded out to inner London, which is out to the north and south circular roads, um, this, this uh, nitrogen dioxide was cut by more than 20%. So, um, it, you know, it's been shown to work. And in fact, the government has said themselves when they were um, putting out some policy a few years ago that these clean air zones, which is really effectively what the uh, ULEZ is for London, are the most effective ways in bringing down air pollution in the majority of cases. So um, I think we would say that action to reduce traffic and to reduce pollution from traffic mm. are essential to protect health, but they must be implemented fairly. Um, I mean, it really comes down to that you can't ignore the reality of dangerous climate change, every, uh, sorry, dangerous air pollution. Everybody wants clean air, really. Um, and, and, you know, particularly as it's got this disproportionate impact on children, people of colour, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, at the same time, we do have to make sure that policies don't harm those that we're trying to protect. So we do need to, to, to do things fairly. And, and to be fair, the, the, the mayor has done a lot to, to make sure that is the case with the ULEZ. Um, and when you think that, in fact, um, in, in outer London now, Cars that are seen driving there now, nine out of ten of them, so nearly all of them, are already compliant mm-hmm. and wouldn't have to pay a charge or a fine at all. Um, and, and the mayor's put in place lots of, sort of grace periods or exemptions, that sort of thing, and recently um, increased the scrappage scheme to, in, to, to include all Londoners with a non-compliant car. It was previously targeted at certain groups more, but... Now, any, any London with a non-compliant car could, could uh, access the scrappage scheme. But it, it's obviously only part of the solution, and yeah. other measures are needed too. I mean, the mayor has got a, a policy to overall cut uh, car traffic, road traffic, and that's absolutely key to, to, to start um, bringing that down. Because, for instance, with air pollution, um, it's, not, uh, it's not only the exhaust that produces um, air pollution, all vehicles, including electric ones, produce these fine particles from brake and tyre and road wear. So it, it is, you know, have, having electric vehicles is essential, but also reducing the, the numbers of vehicles and the amount of traffic or the amount of 
car miles we, we, we have is absolutely key as well. Um, and, and something like his policy that he built this great big four-lane um, new Silvertown road tunnel in East London, near the one I, I, orig- I originally thought of as, as a bridge, um, it, if, if that's allowed to be used for traffic, that will actually overall increase traffic. Um, and that's, we, you know, we don't want that. We, we want it to be used for um, alternative uses, perhaps uh, just clean public transport and, and cycling and that sort of thing. But, the, you know, it, it ultimately comes down to the government. They should be leading on a national scrapage scheme. Mm. And that's mm. been part of the problem with the ULEZ, is some of those um, counties just outside London, they, those people can't access the mayor's scrapage scheme. But, but the government should always be leading on a national scrapage scheme and they should be reallocating funds that they've been planning to, to spend building huge new roads, which just overall increase traffic. It creates new traffic when you build new roads. And instead, put that money into to, to, um, more money for walking, cycling, and public transport. And finally, I would say that the government needs to set um, new targets in line with World Health Organization recommendations. They've got one for... Um, these fine particles, but um, and, and that uh, that was at the time a World Health Organization standard, but that's since been um, uh, tightened, and we actually need to move towards the new one. But there's no um, new target for this uh, nitrogen dioxide gas um, uh, that fits with the World Health Organization standards, and we need that. And overall, we need to enshrine a right to clean air and right to a healthy environment. And, they need to tackle all sources of air pollution, and that includes things like farming and, and uh, industry, as, as well as transport and wood burning and domestic use, all of those things. All areas need to be covered. But yes, a lot to do, but lots of opportunities which will really help our health and also help the climate. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you very much, Jenny, for, for being with us, sharing your really um, invaluable information about this. And we hope that we can raise some more awareness in this regard and be responsible as as a community and as as a nation, really, to, to combat this issue. Thank you very much for, for being with us. Thank you. Yeah, bye-bye. Yeah, that was the conversation we had with Jenny earlier. Now, I think just as we are coming towards the end of the program, the... Uh, the whole idea of living a simple life, trying to reduce your, uh, you know, carbon footprint, is in line with the Islamic teaching as well. Uh, the Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community said that climate change is a problem everywhere, all across the world, especially in the third world countries where the pollution is increasing uh, disproportionately. Just to accommodate the increased population, nations are developing new residential areas, and because of this, forests are being cut. And this deforestation is a major cause of climate change. So you have to be very particular that whenever one tree is cut, two trees should be planted in return. Fuel consumption should also be reduced. Now people have become too lazy. Sometimes they want to go from one place to another and the distance is maybe only 100, 200 meters or yards. And instead of walking to the place, they use their motorbike or car. So in this way, pollution is increasing. There are so many other factors which are also causing pollution and climate change. So we have to be very careful. Yeah, and you know, in Islam, it, Muslims are commanded to 
um, safeguard uh, nature. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, once said, The world is sweet and green, and verily Allah has appointed you as a representative and a trustee over it. Mm, I think that sums it up well. We all have to be responsible and do our best. Uh, we're coming up to the news very soon uh, on the hour, and then after that, we'll. Uh, discuss the topic of uh, caliphate uh, now coming up the news assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah you're listening to the voice of islam radio Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome back to the Draft Time Show here on Voice of Islam radio station. Now, we are now going to talk about the a very, very important aspect of a religion, a very, very important aspect of our belief, uh, which is uh, Khilafat, also known as Caliphate. Now, Many people who are not familiar with uh, the Islamic religion or teaching will directly maybe be a little bit shocked or maybe be a little bit unsure that what we are talking yeah. about when we talk about Khilafat or Caliphate, we are not talking about anything that you know people have been seeing in media over the years, uh, ISIS, you know, God forbid, all of those things which are related to extremism or terrorism or anything that goes against peace, we are not talking about that. What we are talking about is true caliphate, true khilafat. What is true khilafat? Khilafat, I think, uh, to start off with, is uh, the meaning of khilafat, uh, Fahim, is successorship. Yeah. So successorship to what? Successorship to prophethood. Yeah. So what uh, khilafat is not something that is new, but in fact, Khilafat has been the way Allah the Almighty continues His, <coughs> you know, divine uh, guidance for mankind mm. throughout time. So even after prophets such as Prophet Moses, uh, Prophet Muhammad, uh, after that Caliphate uh, took took place, uh, it was um, you know Caliphate was established in different forms. Sometimes yeah. there were you know Caliphate prophets. Sometimes you know they were. Um, Caliphates of uh, of different types that that went on for a long time. In yeah. for example, after Prophet Moses, there were caliphs after him who continued uh, the work in the uh, Israelites for the Jews. Yeah. And uh, similarly, <coughs> Prophet Jesus, uh, he he was also, according to the Old Testament, according to Islamic teachings as well, he was not a an independent prophet. He actually came as a caliph to Prophet Moses in a way that he mm. came to further and uh, revive the teaching of Moses. The You know, the, the he was uh, came to revive the teachings for the Jews. So caliphate is leadership and mm. uh, successorship that is divinely inspired, that is uh, manifested by Allah the Almighty himself. So what we see is that um, after the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings for Allah be upon him, when he passed away, <clears throat> the founder of Islam, the Prophet, after he passed away, then, you know, what happened after that? The question always comes up that, okay, when a Prophet passes away, mm. does that mean that the chapter is closed? Does, yeah. does that mean that the religion is finished? 
does that mean that you know okay there's no there's there's no leadership of course there is um and i think we before we go into the history and look at what happened after prophet muhammad peace and blessings for allah be upon him passed passed away we have to look at what uh god almighty promises or what he says about khilafat or caliphate how it will uh, establish or take place so let's look at a verse of the holy quran if we go to uh, the holy quran we will read this verse um, um, uh, uh, in in surah al jumuah that wa'adallahu alladhina amanu minkum wa amilu salihati la yastakhlifannahum fil ardi kama stakhlafa alladhina min qablihim wala yumakkinanna lahum dinahum allazi irtada lahum wala yubaddilannahum min ba'di khawfihim amna so that's the arabic and the translation is Allah has promised to those among you who believe and do good works that he will surely make them successors in the earth as he made successors from those who were before them and that he will surely establish for them their religion which he has chosen for them and that he will surely give them in exchange security and peace after their fear so this is the promise of Allah to the people to the believers true believers who believe in Allah that Allah Taala the Allah the Almighty will establish khilafat for them yeah so i think that this is this is one topic that is is very important like you said and it's dear to many of us because i think that this is a big issue that people are not seeing guidance and i think that with the way the world is at this in in this moment in time a lot of people are lost there mm. there is a lot of people trying to understand the world trying to find their purpose in it and that is one of the biggest things that i'm thankful for is khilafat because every week on a friday uh there's a message delivered from our khalifa uh, mr masrur ahmed may uh, god be his helper Uh, who delivers a sermon every friday uh and helps us how to using whether it's historical examples whether it's current examples whether it's uh, quranic references or mm. or islamic teachings in it of, of any sorts helps us navigate our day-to-day lives and helps us connect with our creator which in turn gives us this sense of peace and tranquility that i think most people in the world are searching for yeah. that contentment mm-hmm. and for me i think that that's why this is such a important subject and why we discuss this this isn't just to promote emediate right this isn't just about saying hey look this is this is the things that we have or explain it where he categorically explaining that having a khalifa in our lives has really made us different and make us feel content in a way that i think a lot of people in the world at the moment are searching for uh, as as evidenced by people's search on social media the things that they search for the things that they talk about i think that that is something that is really missing and you know we we can talk about the historical aspects of it but for me i wanted to just explain that personal uh, impact or that khalifa the our khalifa that khalifa has on us because you know i've i've been lucky enough to have uh, met two khalifas uh, the fourth and the fifth and you know i think that 
it's when you hear the advice and the, the guidance that is given on a weekly basis you can really feel that connection with God and you can really feel that you know reason and understanding to your existence so yeah that's this in a nutshell that's that's how I yeah, feel yeah and i think for for all of us it's uh, it's it's such an important part of our lives uh, and i think people people outside might not understand that but mm. you see with spiritual uh spiritual thoughts spiritual ideas communities as well yeah if you even look within christianity there are so many denominations uh, uh, denominations yeah. yes and then different sects and you know th- there's there's a lack of unity there yeah. right you do have the pope yeah, yeah for the for the catholics they do seem to have that 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 togetherness there yeah. but on a whole you will see that there is you know uh, even within islam at the moment there yeah. are so many different sects they don't believe in them they don't believe in them they have their issues they have their own way of thinking even if you take away religion completely when you look at ideologies when you look at different communities different way of thinking people have their own stuff going yeah. on right everybody has like yeah you know we are we're thinking this way we're going to do this uh, we don't really agree with this and then you know people you don't have that unity in yeah. in in the spiritual world whereas that's what religion comes to create the to yeah. to bring people together to create that unity right 100% and i think that without unity there's no progress right because the thing is when think about it with yourself whenever you're thinking about a decision if you're like oh i don't know whether this is right think about it let's say you're starting a new diet right you look on the internet how many different diets are they saying that you know apple cider vinegar is going to make you lose weight in 8 weeks next person saying that apple cider vinegar give you cancer right like you know there, there's so much differentiation and there's no clear understanding of mm. of how to do it and that's what i think that the caliphate and you know the prophet the founder of amdia uh, bringing is that explanation that guidance of islam that gets like that dispels all of these yeah. confusions that mm-hmm. there there are that you know this is how it is and and you know having someone like islam always teaches that there should be leadership of some sort like even when you're traveling right like they they you should appoint a leader because the thing is is that when you have one leader then think of any organization you know you need a leader to to help guide and to keep the values alive and mm. to 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 make sure that they um follow through and i think that that's where religion i think people can see it as um something that divides but it's actually something to unite yeah and absolutely. i think the, the caliphate is the biggest example of that yeah i think that's that's such an important point because when when we go back to you know why religions are sent why prophets are sent they are sent to unite people towards the truth towards yeah. bring them towards god bring them towards morality you know create a a community where you are in that spiritual um uh, you know motivation mm. together as a community and that's exactly what caliphate does the caliphate succeeds the prophethood and we look at the time of uh, the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad peace and blessings for allah be upon him when he passed away there was a there was a shock mm-hmm. you know within the muslims many people could not believe could literally not believe 
that the Prophet Muhammad peace and bless, blessings for Allah had passed away. They yeah. literally thought that he might still be alive yeah. and he might just be in a sleep or something. Yeah. He might return. They could not believe it. And there were uh, people who were suddenly doubting, you know, what the future of their faith would be, right? Because they were so dependent on the Prophet for, for guidance that they, they, they were very unsure at that time. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, there were enemies. There were people who were jealous of the progress of Islam. They were happy and they were planning how to, you know, now cause an upset or maybe, yeah. you know, take over or, you know, uh, try to destroy cause Islam. Mayhem, yeah. yeah, cause mayhem. There were hypocrites as well. They were, you know, also, you know, uh, seeing this as an opportunity to create uh, dissent and disorder within the Muslims. And Muslims themselves were, you know, very saddened and, you know, you could say in a state of shock because at that time they were very prone to these these attack or malicious, you know, um, uh, things that were happening at that time. But what happened was that, you know, they the Muslims came together and they elected, they chose Abu Bakr, Hazrat Abu Bakr, Sadiq, mm-hmm. may Allah be pleased with him, as the first caliph. And it's not like a general election or it's not like a, you know, a, a political election of any sort. Yeah. Allah the Almighty, it's pr- you know, prayers are behind it. People pray, people sincerely think whoever is spiritually on that uh, pedestal that they can lead yeah. the community uh, who's the most spiritual and most, you know, uh, pious person among them they go yeah. for that person and then of course when they do the prayers Allah the Almighty inspires them to choose the right successor yeah. and caliph so that way Hazrat Abu Bakr Sadiq was uh, Abu Bakr was chosen as the first caliph of Islam and yeah. right when he was chosen you know people were feeling at ease suddenly and the whole Muslim community which was we have to remember at that time was spread even beyond Arabia at that time and um they became united so and and there were enemies who tried to attack islam at that time but because they were able to unite under the caliph all those attacks were repelled yeah. and they you know islam then started um, you know excelling excelling after that and then what happened was that the first caliph when he passed away the second caliph was elected yeah. he took uh, the islamic progress to another level mm. and then suddenly like uh, there were four caliphs um, and every time a caliph passed away the same situation was there yeah. it was a very you know sensitive situation very peril situation for muslims yeah. and this is exactly what the holy quran talks about that allah the almighty turns your state of fear into peace yeah. so that state of fear was again and again turned into peace by Allah the Almighty through Khilafat. So Caliphate is very important yeah. in a spiritual uh, you know, community, in a spiritual uh, system where you do need to have a spiritual leader who is inspired by Allah the Almighty. Because as, a, as I said again, you know, people have different beliefs, sometimes different interpretations, but you need somebody to say, this is what is right. Yeah. And this is this is what we are going to go for. This is what what we are going to stick to, because that unity then is created by accepting the caliph and you know believing that his word is the last word. That is true obedience. Yeah. And caliphate without obedience cannot exist. Yeah. So that's exactly why 
uh, in the in the verse that uh, I recited in the beginning, Allah the Almighty says that Allah has promised to those among you who believe and do good works. Good, doing good works mean to be obedient yeah. and to believe. Do you truly believe and do good work? Then those people are the ones who deserve caliphate. Allah the Almighty then gives them the caliphate, the system of caliphate, which in which they prosper. And uh, then the religion is established for them and uh, peace is given to them because of that. And that's something that we see in every, uh, you know, chapter of these rightly guided caliphs. However, we know after four of the, the fourth caliph, mm. according to a prophecy of the prophet, the caliphate ended. Yeah. And from that time onwards, slowly, 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 Islam as a religion was on a decline. Yeah. And it it continues to decline till the advent of the promised messiah 1400 yeah. years later definitely and so i want to address like anybody who's sitting there listening thinking you know why do these why are these two men here just saying oh there's a caliph that you know complete obedience to why should we listen to him right i just want to provide some context to that because I think if you're not and uh, if you haven't experienced it for yourself, mm. I think it's very difficult to understand. Yeah. So for me, I I like to explain it by saying that, look, if I said to you that every day I am praying, right, for your, for you to be happy, for you to be in the best way, any of your worries they'd be taken away if i did that every day and you knew that right would you not want to listen to things that i have to say when you when because you would know that i genuinely care mm. right and i think that's what people can sometimes forget or sometimes people don't understand is that the every caliph and and you know it's been described by our current caliph as well that he's he is praying regularly for the world for every single person in it whatever strife they're going through and that's of no like reason for him to be like rewarded in any way yeah. it's or to for any personal gain it is selfless and someone selflessly doing that for you don't you think that it's it's worth listening to them because at the end of the day wouldn't would they ever tell you something that wouldn't be good for you mm, and i think that simple understanding is the best way that i've i've been able to understand like explain it to someone who who hasn't experienced it that you know there's someone who is in the middle of the night getting up right when when you know most of us are sleeping getting up earlier than that to to pray to just for your betterment and maybe you haven't even seen him in a very long time maybe you haven't even listened to one of his sermons for a very, mm -hmm. very long time but you still are getting those prayers and that selflessness so therefore it's it's just inherent and it's it's simple that you would listen to someone who is trying yeah. to give you good advice to the betterment of your yeah. life and that's what the the caliph the worldwide head of the Amniya muslim community is doing mm. giving the best possible advice yeah. to people uh how to improve spiritually yeah and um, you know it's it's the caliphate is not a worldly leadership yeah. there it's not you know there to dictate your life or to like you know 
make decisions for you. Mm. It's there to provide you with spiritual guidance and mm. to pray for you and to guide you in spiritual matters. That's exactly what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is about. Yeah. You know, people are dedicated to the system of uh, Khilafat. They respect it. They obey it. Uh, and they reap the rewards of it. You know, the community itself, if people look at the community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is a, a, a small number of Muslims, if you look at, uh, if you compare the wider it to the, context, the wider yeah. concept of the whole uh, population of Muslims across the world, yeah. it's very tiny. Yeah. But it is so powerful uh, in terms of its work, in terms of its progress, yeah. uh, in terms of its achievements, that you, the only reason that you can, you can think it's possible is because they're united and they're united because of a leadership, yeah. because of the spiritual leadership of Caliphate. So yeah. that brings all the people across the world like the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is established in more than 210 countries worldwide yeah. and all those are under the umbrella of the Khilafat yeah. so they take guidance from Caliphate regardless of whether you are a community living in Japan or living in in, 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 in Iceland or, or living in uh, USA or yeah. Africa mm. you will get your guidance from the same source yeah. And be consistent. And be consistent. Yes. That's the other thing, right? It doesn't matter where you're from, or you know what color, what creed, what gender. You will have consistent guidance because it's true understanding. It's true guidance, and you know. You mentioned about like this isn't a way like this isn't a, a way to control or to say that hey, you should live your life this certain way. It's like in the beginning of the Quran. It doesn't say that you must have to. You have to live your life this way. It says this is a perfect book. There, it is a guidance for the righteous. Yeah, yeah. Right? It is a guidance if you would like to pursue a righteous life. Yeah. This is your manual to do that. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's where like it's not something that's compulsion. That it's not something that you're compelled to do. It's something that you know if you want to do that and you know consistently. Every Friday, right? Like, tell me who who's been as consistent as that <laughs> in yeah. your life that would give you good advice consistently on a Friday, and it, not just on a Friday. Like, that's just one aspect of it. That's whether yeah. you you meet the caliph, whether you go to one of the other events, or you know, or just past uh, you know archives yeah. that we have of of other caliphs as well. Yeah, the the, the caliph has been. You know, giving advice not only to the community, to its own community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, but also externally to to countries, to yeah. leaders, to you know, to politicians, to every uh, person who's uh, who, who's reachable, giving with advice, no political yes, with no motivation. political motivation about how to create peace yeah. in society, and that is one of the biggest challenges that we have in the world mm. right now is the you know the the absence of peace, the conflicts, the wars that are happening. Mm. And the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has, for since a very long time, warned about these escalations yeah. and these, you know, events that are happening. That this is not leading us to a good path. And he's trying to. He's been trying to to tell people, to leaders, that they should actively, you know, promote peace and and try to put um, the Act to justice. Yeah, yeah, put justice before their own, you know. Desires in politics, but uh, you know, only God can make them listen. Mm. Um, we 
we'll now play a short clip which uh, talks about the uh, you know the difference of uh, of of islamic caliphate uh, and 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 the pope uh, uh, the institutional pope so i think this question was put towards uh, the fourth caliph of the amdiya muslim community um, and he answered that question so let's have a listen to that yes here um I'm a Muslim, yet uh, I have got so many friends who are Christians, and uh, I've talked to them much about the caliphate which we have. Some of them, well, they take it to be something like the uh, Catholic dom, or what I would say, just like the Catholic, as they have the Pope. So I'd be very much glad if the caliphate is uh, is shown. I mean, the differences between that of the uh, caliphate and then that of the Pope. I see, I understand. You see, the difference is, uh, is in some areas there are differences, in some other areas there are similarities. Most important of all, in my opinion, is the belief of in, in infallibility of Pope. In Roman Catholicism, they believe that Popes cannot err. Their decisions are always right. And when they confronted the dilemma of one Pope in history giving a verdict on the same issue, so completely different from the verdict given on the same issue by another Pope, they had in fact no solution to the problem. We as Ahmadis believe that Khalifas, as they are called, the deputies of prophets, they are not infallible. They can make mistakes. But what we believe is that they, when, even when they make mistakes, because they are truthful, when the, it is pointed out to them that this mistake has been committed, they are brave enough and they love truth enough to accept their mistake and mend their way. So they are human, but they are guided by the light of their inner truth. And when are you, are, you are true, then even mistakes, mistakes do not make such important a difference. As long as you make mistakes in honesty, and as long as you are honest enough to own your mistakes and rectify them. So that is one major difference between the popes and the caliphs. Again, the caliph is believed to be the servant of his people, believes himself to be the servant of his people. And that is highly stressed in Islamic concept of leadership. Once the holy founder of Islam said, Sayyidul Qawme Khadimuhum, which means the leader of a people is the one who is their servant. So this attitude is lacking in popedom and its relationship to the Christianity. They are the overlords the representative of gods in a manner as uh, they, they, they stand beyond everything and as if they are the passageway between humanity and Christ. This is not the concept of Caliphate in Islam in Ahmadiyyat. We believe that you are only leader if you are truly servant in your attitude to the people. If you are humble enough 
to meet the people at their own level and to know that you belong to them and as long as you serve them you retain the title of leader the moment you adopt the attitude of being served you lose the title so this is also a very important attitude which i find essential uh, in khilafat which i also find lacking in the attitude of popedom again i believe that in papacy the relationship between pope and god on the one hand and pope and the people on the other hand as i have already mentioned is the relationship of a passageway like thing and the common people who do not agree for instance with pope or do not have a a relationship with god through pope they are considered to be false claimants to spirituality while in ahmadiyat the concept of relationship with god is so wide based on the teachings of the holy quran that even those who are not muslim not to mention ahmadiyat even those who are even uh, not christians they are jews even those who are uh, zoroastrians according to this concept religion can be different and religion can be wrong yet if a man is right and truthful he still has the right to have a direct link with god and it is god who established that that link because wherever truth is found god loves truth so ideology is important but not that important the difference in ideology can be based on genuine differences the genuine disagreements so if somebody doesn't understand christianity why must he be condemned to hell if someone genuinely cannot understand islam why must he be condemned to hell if someone then genuinely does not believe that i am true and i have the right to lead Uh, spiritual people why should he be condemned to hell if he's true and if he does not understand the dictate of the truth would be that he must deny that which he doesn't understand so why should he be punished for truth so this is the major difference i believe that we believe that those who are not related to me if they are true and god knows better if they are true they have no fear and i am not a most essential must for deliverance from from sin or for deliverance from satan most important is your inner truth and your attitude to life your love of god on the one hand and love of humanity on the other so caliphate is to promote that love not to stand in the way of that love so i think that should suffice for the time being excellent answer by the fourth caliph of the ahmadiyya muslim community now we talked about caliphate and how um, you know caliphate was established uh, the islamic khilaf uh, khilafat established after the holy prophet of islam uh, prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him passing away and then we had hazrat abu bakr uh, hazrat umar hazrat usman hazrat ali radhiyallahu anhum they were all uh caliphs uh, that followed 
successors to the prophet and they mm. uh, were the supreme well, spiritual leaders of the uh, islamic uh, community at that time however the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him said and he prophesied that uh, khilafat or the caliphate would last for about 30 years and then after that um, you know Uh, the caliphate would end and uh, there would be righteous uh, people in power for a while in in leadership and then it would turn into uh, you know uh, less pious people and then it would turn into you know worldly people and then barbaric people as well and that whole chain would continue uh where to a time where islam would slowly slowly you know fall into darkness and after 1400 years he said after this long period of darkness allah the almighty again will establish a caliphate or khilafat uh, on the precepts of prophethood and the key word for him that he used was thumma takunu khilafatun ala minhaj nabuwa that then there will be caliphate on the precepts of prophethood so here for him if you can come in and, and tell people about you know the 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 Ahmadiyya Muslim community where does that come in uh, in that prophecy yeah because often people can ask the question you know if prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him was right then where is that khilafat on the precepts of prophethood and the khilafat of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was established in accordance with the quran and the prophet muhammad's uh, peace and blessings of allah be upon him's pro- prophecy mirza ghulam ahmed claimed to be the awaited messiah and mahdi to revive islam bring back to one god and establish unity ahmed was that future prophet that the prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him foretold would come upon ahmed's death in uh, the founder of the amdia muslim community uh, in 1908 a khalifa was elected just as a khalifa was elected after the prophet muhammad's death death in 632 the the holy spirit superintends the election process uh with muhammad and uh prophet muhammad and uh the founder of the amdi muslim community amad uh, rest the only two instances in islamic history when a khalifa was established after the demise of a claimant to prophethood his holiness mirza masrur amad is the fifth caliph of islam since Ahmed's demise uh, he continues that promised khilafat which it has run uninterrupted for 106 years and counting this khilafat has vociferously uh, stood for universal freedom of conscience separation of mosque and state human rights education and free speech this khilafat promotes good works and has removed fear and replaced it with security and peace for those people who accepted this khilafat and divine guidance Today the Ahmadiyya Muslim community spans over 160 million Muslims in over 204 countries worldwide and the is the world's fastest growing Muslim sect seeking to unite humanity in peace and security. Mm. So this is in a nutshell the Ahmadiyya Muslim community which started you know uh, with the um, prophet uh, you know Ahmed or uh, Azam is a Ghulam Ahmed yeah. who founded the Ahmadiyya Muslim community he was a prophet he was not a prophet that came with a new teaching or a new law mm. or to cancel out you know prophet muhammad's uh, teaching islam in fact on the opposite he came 
to further Islamic, uh, you to know, revive him. yeah, to revive Islam, and he was, uh, you know, a uh, servant prophet to Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. These kind of prophets have come in the history of uh, of mankind before as well, under Prophet Moses uh, in the Israel Israelites, etc., etc. So this door of prophethood is the only door that is open to now from now on from Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Only those prophets can come who are subservient to Prophet Muhammad because Islam is the final teaching and the Holy Prophet indeed is the final law-bearing prophet. Now, the caliphate that started again, you know, when the promised Messiah, uh, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, when he passed away again, there was a very, you know, uh, sensitive situation. There was a very... Uh, a state of fear mm. for people that what happens now you yeah. know what 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 is the future of the community now lots of people you know uh, who were not steadfast in their faith they left they yeah. left Ahmadiyyat so at that time Allah the Almighty again you know according to that verse that we recited the promise that he will stay, uh, turn the state of fear into peace yeah. he did that again Allah the Almighty did that with the establishment of the Ahmadiyya Caliphate, yeah. which started with the Hazrat Hakim Mulana Nuruddin, who, uh, who was the first Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And then after him, you had Hazrat uh, Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad, uh, the second Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Then you had, uh, when he passed away, you had the third Caliph, whose name was Hazrat Mirza Nasir Ahmad. And after his demise, uh, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was uh, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, uh, who we just heard as well in the audio clip. And then the current, when he passed away, that was in uh, 2003, yes. um, then we had the fifth caliph, and our fifth caliph uh, is the caliph who is currently the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And he is our current spiritual leader, successor, he's a caliph, of uh, the Promised Messiah now at this time and we're very lucky very fortunate that we are able to you know uh, witness uh, you know his time and uh, that we are able to listen and uh, uh, you know be able to to interact with the with with the Caliph uh, so he's he's the fifth uh, Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and inshallah by the grace of Allah that system of Caliphate will continue to go on you know yeah. because this is the promise of Allah but the condition of the promise is that you have to be truly believing so meaning you yeah. have to have faith in yourself uh, or your your faith should be strong yeah. and uh, you have to be obedient you have to show obedient to obedience to to the caliph in, yeah. in in you know in 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 your faith and uh, then Allah the Almighty promises that caliphate will continue but if you become ungrateful and if you stop caring about it, if you yeah. uh, if you stop uh, understanding the importance of it, or st uh, under you know you don't value it anymore, then Allah the Almighty will take it away. Yeah. So uh, this is what it says in the Holy Quran as well that um, uh, this uh, those people who who are ungrateful, then they will uh, Allah the Almighty will 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 not cater for them basically so yeah. this is the condition that the community needs to be obedient it needs to be uh, dedicated uh, for for this blessing and this this blessing will then remain 
Definitely. And I think if anybody's curious as to this guidance or this, um, like, I, I challenge anyone to, to find something that the the caliph is saying that wouldn't make the world a better place because mm. it, every Friday, so tomorrow at 1pm. Even in our previous topic, yeah. right, where we talked about air pollution. Yeah. There's such a... Pragmatic such a, such a, Yeah, clear, such a topic yeah. that is far from anything that you could associate with religious Religion, yeah. teachings, right? But air pollution, even mm. in that aspect we talked about, you know, His Holiness mm. said that, you know, uh, we should make sure that we, if we cut down trees, that we plant double the amount of trees. Yeah. And, you know, uh, about living simple lives, about, you know, reducing our uh, our fuel not consumption, being, being, yeah. not being lazy, be actually looking after health. These are the things that he said. These are things that are related to the Islamic teachings. Yeah. But again, it shows you that everything that the Caliph says is for the betterment of our physical and spiritual health, yeah. which is two most important aspects of our life. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, if you are curious and you've never heard it before, you know, we, we do... Um, air it on, on Voice of Islam at 1pm so tomorrow 1pm do tune in and you'll be able to hear it directly live um, from the Caliph uh, and yeah I you know I challenge anyone to find anything that is 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 something that isn't helpful to the betterment of society as a whole and as an individual and that's one of the key things that I really appreciate whenever I'm, whenever I'm listening is that uh, you know it's not just a benefit it gives you it makes you feel like that sermon was directly delivered to mm. you personally yeah. but then also to everybody in the world and of course and th those are you know teachings that those are from the islamic teachings that the caliph explains and i think for for a person who who wants to increase in their faith to improve in spirituality to improve in their relationship with allah if you listen to the caliph and you act upon it then you will definitely yeah. you know improve um, lastly, we wanted to play for you a, uh, a clip that we have from the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community once again. He talked about the continuation of uh, the system of caliphate uh, and what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community believes and what they do to uh, you know, continue that blessing uh, that Allah the Almighty has given and he has promised to those who believe um, in Allah. So let's have a listen to that. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, considering the uh, history of religion, especially of Islam, what measure of Ahmadiyyat has taken to keep continuing the institution of Khilafat as a stable and keep it going on further? What measures have been taken? Yes, please. I mean, they are already there before you. No, how we will know whether it is going to be continued in future or not. Hazrat Masih has been given this glad tiding by Allah that his Khilafat would continue till the day of, well, doomsday is what has been promised him. Kudrat Asaniya would come and stay forever. And that was exactly like... Uh, it happened in vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis Hazrat Masih the first Messiah. His Khilafat is continuing still and it will continue to remain so. Whether it has lost its quality or not, this is not the issue. 
but Khilafat itself would continue. What has been told to Hazrat Musim Salaam is that Khilafat Saliha would remain for 1000 years and he has been declared as Mujaddid of 1000 years. So with that guarantee you don't have to bother much about it. As far as the day-to-day problems are concerned, whoever is the Khalifa of the time, he can effectively deal with them and see to it that no threat is created to any effect. And whenever a threat of any sort begins to raise its head, either covertly or overtly, it's very effectively dealt with, with the grace of Allah. Is that what you had in mind or something else? Perhaps you couldn't make yourself clear because no, I can see on your face no, I am, the question is still hanging over your question, eyebrow. No, my question, <laughs> about my question I am quite clear. But what I see in other religions, say in Christianity, mm-hmm. to stabilize they have introduced various I mean, say, offices, offices for bishops and uh, then archbishops, then cardinals. But they, they don't stabilize Pope or the papacy. No, as they, as they, they, they hang on, on, on papacy. They don't stabilize it. No, as the Christianity, as it is spreading, so they are organizing to subdivisions of those local areas to be organized by cardinals. Haven't you seen Jamaat Ahmadiyya organized into thousands of chapters by now? And it's very much more solidly organized body than any other similar or even dissimilar body in the world. This you can claim without fear of contradiction. Whether it is a religious body or irreligious body or a-religious body, whatever you may compare Ahmadiyyat with, there is absolutely no comparison in matter of organization. Each small small branch, even each branch, whether it is small or big, is organized in, in the form of chapters. And in that we have also established the democratic system of election, office bearers, etc. And a supervision system is also superimposed on this basic structure. So that if democracy tends to go wrong, then the superimposed system of uh, keeping watch over it uh, as representatives of Khalifa's eyes sees to it that before the damage is done the culprits are removed. So it is the healthiest form of democracy which is working in the world and in fact the only democracy which can be declared as pure democracy and honest democracy without any factions, without any personal ends or gains to achieve. So show me any other body in the world which has such pure form of democracy in practice. There is no falsehood who is involved, no false propaganda is either permitted or carried out uh, to gain votes. The person who is elected even doesn't propose his name. Most often than not, he tries to keep away from such responsibilities, to shun the responsibilities. 
But when imposed, then he goes forward like a brave man and carries them. So, Khilafat is the ideal combination of the uh, democratic ideology with the uh, ideology of uh, representatives or resurgence of Allah who keep guard over the working or healthy working of the system. So it's most beautifully fused together system. And yet you are wondering whether it has come into being or not. <laughs> because of the previous uh, uh, experience in history of Islam. No such thing is found there of this nature anywhere in the world. This is unique. You know, this is why Hazrat Muslim Maud was, uh, even before his birth, declared to be a great Muslim Maud. These are the things which he has achieved, fantastic things, which have no parallel in history or in the present times. An organization like the organization of Jamaat Ahmadiyya is unparalleled. Nowhere in the world, in, at any time you can, you can find such beautifully well-poised organization and so well looked after in detail. You know, right at the lowest rung, we have an observing eye. Anything happens in the remotest regions of Nigeria comes to my notice. And before any mischief can develop, we take effective remedial, remedial measures. And yet the whole system is running on this basis of cooperation without any coercion, without any imposition which pinches or hurts. Just through a mutual understanding and perfect, uh, uh, you know, coordination between the, those who are at lower rung and those who are at a higher rung of authority, things are so fluently and most, you know, what should I say? Smoothly. No, no, lub well lubricated, in a well lubricated manner, are flowing and working that you don't hear any noise, you don't see any ripples. You know, the ideal organization is the one where there is no noise. The greater the friction is, the greater the noise would be created, the greater the heat generation and panic and, you know, hurry, running to and fro and this and that. So this has always been my ideal of organization. Wherever I have worked in whatever capacity, I have always tried to achieve this, that you set, set a system and put it into such quiet working that after that you just retrieve into nothingness. You don't seem to be involved so fanatically and, and vehemently in everything, but you remain in touch with everything quietly. If a langar khana, ideal langar khana is to be observed in, during langar khana, jalsa salana, the same criterion would, be, would apply there. In the, during the best time of our langar khana when things were moving most efficiently, everything seemed to be settled and quiet and set. No hurrying to and fro, no noise, everything was going automatically as if there was no energy involved, while greatest energy was involved. 
you know when the car engine is idling and revving then you see how much noise it makes when it's put into gear it's using much more energy yet it becomes quiet and smooth and buzzing so that also goes with the organization now imagine the whole world organization of jamaat ahmadiyya is working so quietly silently without making a noise but those who are working who are working it who are operating it they know the thrill of power within below everything is throbbing with with power in jamaat ahmadiyya but it's quiet and perfect working in perfect coordination so this is why you missed it you know this is the beauty of the system <laughs> thank you you don't take note of it what's happening i i generally tell people who are not involved in zamindara that is agriculture directly that anybody who any citizen of of, of uh, big cities or towns who has no personal knowledge of how agriculture is done if he goes to a farm passes by he thinks that everything is you know running automatically no labor is involved and quietly things are going on there is such quiet on the, in the fields and uh, the actually what actually happens is that the um, farmer is one of the busiest men in the country hardly can he time sometimes find time to look into his uh, you know personal affairs uh, even so that uh, it is said that during october season some farmer uh, lost his mother the mother died and he put shoved that her, uh, his mother into some porola they call it in you know a porola is the thing which where, where you also keep wheat and thing you know corn etc and uh, other articles which may be required later on you keep on shoving them in the porola so he shoved his mother in the porola because he had no time to bury her <laughs> after he was relieved of that pressure of work then he could attend later on i mean this is just uh, to illustrate how busy a farmer is he rises up early in the middle of the night in fact very close to the middle night and goes to the farm quietly with his plow uh, and buffaloes and all you hear is tatata and this slight noise which is lost in the general hubbub of the whole world at that time and nobody notices that when he is plowing when he is moving things from one place to another a lot of labor is involved and a lot of organization is required and a lot of Uh, attention is to be paid every minute to the farming to what ha- what is happening here what is required there even watering of the field requires so much responsibility so much attention and so much uh, labor is put into it but everything seems to be so quiet moving around you know along in perfect order that you think things are moving automatically so this is how allah's nature is working the whole phenomenon of growth vegetation animal reproduction 
is taking place quietly, you don't take notice. The universe is revolving and everything is moving on and immense things are going on under before your observation which you don't take note of. This is what it means when the Holy Quran says, Summastava Aladash. Once he organized the whole universe, then he retrieved uh, onto his throne of supervision, overall uh, supervision, and as if he was resting over there. So the best organizer is one who moves things, uh, I mean, puts things into motion, into proper motion, into a coordinated motion, and uh, when everything is involved in his own uh, respective task, then he can have time to sit aloof and watch from the above what is happening around, and only then he can look after everything, otherwise not. So this, this is the lesson which Allah has given us in perfect organization. And with the grace of Allah, as I said, Jamaat Ahmadiyya is the only world organization which is built on the pattern of nature. And this is why it is so quiet. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam.